And let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. Sunday nights we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we pick things up tonight in chapter 19. As we left the account in chapter 18, the Lord had spoken to Abraham of his coming judgment upon the city of Sodom. And God had declared to Abraham the reasons for that coming judgment because of the greatness uh, of their uh, iniquity, their wickedness and sin. And uh, as Abraham listens to this, he begins to intercede for the city of Sodom. And he asked the Lord and said, Lord, if I know that the way that you are and the righteousness of your nature and all, uh, that you don't judge the righteous with the unrighteous. What if there are 50 righteous in the city? Would you spare it for 50? And God said that he would. And then down to 45 and 30 and so forth, all the way down to 10, where Abraham said, if there are ten righteous in the city, would you spare Sodom for the ten? And the Lord said, I would for the ten. And I never look at that as some kind of a negotiation that was going on there. It is pure intercession that's happening between two hearts, the heart of God and the heart of, of a friend of God who understands the uh, heart of the Lord in, in terms of judgment. They know that judgment is sometimes needs to be meted out upon wickedness uh, in this world, but uh, they only want it to be when all else has failed and uh, as a last resort. And that's the communion that's happening between those uh, two beautiful hearts in that passage. There aren't going to be ten righteous in Sodom, and it will end up uh, judged, but the beauty of their hearts is wonderful uh, to see nonetheless. I think as we head into chapter 19 and God's destruction of the city of Sodom, that it is important to recognize uh, that uh, that when God does judge them, that they they weren't he doesn't they, they shouldn't have been blindsided by it. Uh, there's a part of their history you remember earlier in the the book of Genesis chapter 14 when the Sodom and Gomorrah were conquered by the four kings that came out of the east and they were taken captive, Lot and his family also, and taken off. And then Abraham and his household came and rescued them. You remember that? And uh, brought them back uh, to Salem. And as they're brought back into this region of, of Israel, uh, both the king of Sodom comes out and tries to bestow honor upon Abraham. And then and Melchizedek, the priest uh, of the Lord there in Salem, he comes out and uh, he gives honor uh, to Abraham. And they both recognize that this great victory has occurred because of Abraham's God. So at this particular point, both the... Um, Head, uh, the mayor of the city of, of Sodom and also the people of Sodom, they are standing there and they are watching all of this. And they uh, are recognizing that they have been delivered from captivity and destruction by the God of Abraham. But they then proceed to go back into the city and live the same lives that they had been living rather than doing what they ought to have done and the event was intended to accomplish in them and that was to get them to turn from the wickedness of their ways the captivity that it brings and turn now to the God uh, of Abraham the God of the Bible the true and the living uh, God and so despite this revelation of Jehovah to them uh, they continued in in that wickedness and now uh, only judgment can come forth now the two angels that were with the Lord when he visited Abraham they came to Sodom in the evening and as they come here and kind of this time of, of, of the day it's getting dark uh, there and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom now when we take a trip to Israel one of the favorite places that I like to go to is the city of Dan and one of the reasons is because what historically is associated with the city of Dan 
But in the ancient ruin of the city of Dan, they have reconstructed from the ancient city an ancient gate to the city of Dan. And so a gate of a city was essentially an entrance to the city. And, uh, and, and so uh, you would have these, the cities were basically fortified, they were walled, and then you would have these gates or these openings that allowed them to control traffic in and out of the city. And it would be in the gates of these cities, these main entrances, that the most prominent men of the city would sit down there. Now, when you and I, let's say I had a beef with my neighbor, and uh, they're a Christian too, let's say, and uh, one of them happens to be for me, which is a blessing. And, uh, but let's say there was kind of a squabble or something or a land deal or something like that. And uh, in those days you didn't kind of have so many attorneys like you have today. Not everyone was literate. Not everyone could write and all. And so if a dispute needed to be settled between me and another person, we would go then to the elders, the prominent men who sat at the gate of the city. We would speak to them about the issue that we're dealing with, they would then pronounce a proper judgment upon it. And then in addition to that, they would act as witnesses to the judgment that had been meted out. So if my friend then took and violated the agreement further down the road, I couldn't, didn't pull out a document and say, but you signed right here on the contract. I would go back before the elders that we had both witnessed this to, and they would testify to the agreement that we had made. So these were prominent men that sat there. So here you have Lot now who has uh, separated himself from Abraham in earlier chapters. And uh, he casts his eye towards Sodom. He moves towards Sodom. And now we see him sitting in the gate of Sodom. He has become a part of Sodom. He has become an influential person in Sodom. He has prospered as a result of, of being in, in Sodom. Uh, the only problem is he's made a name for himself and wealth and all of these things. The only problem is Sodom's about to be destroyed. So it's a complete uh, waste. But this is the position that he now has in the city of, of Sodom. It helps to give us uh, understanding here, this issue of the gate, when Jesus speaks in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 16, and he spoke to Peter, and he said, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock of Peter's confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the gates of a city represented the collective wisdom of the city and uh, knowledge of the city and, and, and all and uh, power and resources of the city. And God, Jesus was saying that uh, the forward moving church, the advancing uh, church of, of God's people uh, cannot, uh, the collective wisdom and resources and all of the enemy cannot stop an advancing church in terms terms of the kingdom of God uh, in, in the world and, and, and against the kingdom of darkness. Now Lot uh, sees them in verse 1, and he rose up to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So he either sees uh, the, these uh, these two angels, they're, they're male and in their form and all, and uh, apparently he has a sense that these are more than, uh, you know, sojourners here, uh, even as the men of Sodom will in just a moment. And uh, so he comes and bows down before them, and then he said to them, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet that you might rise early and go on your way. So he extends hospitality to them, to feed them, to let them get cleaned up, have a good night's sleep, and then go on their way on, on the journey. It's a beautiful invitation on his part. And they said, no, we'll spend the night out in the open square. And uh, so they, they decline uh, his, his offer on, on that. But notice in verse 3, he insisted strongly, you know, that they would take him up on his offer of, of hospitality. And so they turned into him and entered into uh, his house. Now, when Lot insists of these uh, two angels that, no, you, uh, you, you can't stay out in the square, uh, he doesn't tell them why at this point. He knows that it's not safe because of the moral condition of the city. But um, when he won't take no for an answer related to his, his hospitality and all, I think this is the moment 
that uh, Peter is speaking of when he, he speaks of Lot favorably in his second epistle. And he spoke of righteous Lot being delivered who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And so this is commendable what he does. He knows that uh, the night would be a very, very bad night for them if they stayed out in there. And, and so he rightfully, you know, insists on this. Now he goes downhill from here. It's, it, it's really uh, shocking. And so he insisted, they turned into him, entered his house, he made him a feast and complete with uh, baked unleavened bread. Oh, can you smell it, I'm telling you. And, uh, and they ate, so he fed them very, very well. He has the wealth to do it. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, <clears throat> the men, and you notice that word men of Sodom, both young and old. Uh, so you've got all age groups, everything in between, not just the young and, the, and excluding the old or vice versa or whatever old and young everything in between all the people from every quarter they surround now uh, Lot's uh, uh, house and uh, so the word has apparently spread throughout the city uh, two very very attractive men have come into the city and all and it has spread through the city in the time that it took them to pre prepare and to eat the meal and then these men come from everywhere, all of the men in the city. And uh, so you can imagine uh, the word gets out, starts to network through the whole place. There's two new men, two new men, two new men, this kind of a deal, very attractive and this kind of thing. And just an expression of just unbridled lust uh, to a man in the city. They want to come and, and sexually have, have their way uh, with them. So they surround now the house. And they called a lot and they said to him, Where are the men? So you've got men wanting men here now, right? Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them carnally or know them uh, physically. And so what they wanted to do, they demand that Lot delivers these two men. Uh, they don't know that they're angels, but to deliver them out in order that they might uh, perform homosexual rape uh, uh, upon them. And it's just terrible, just terrible. And, uh, and, and you've got a scene of, uh, uh, you know, unspeakable... Uh, sexual lust being uh, expressed here in, in all of this. Complete lack of control sexually uh, in, in the city there. And I think that what happens here in all of this, in terms of what they're wanting to do, that this, this whole scene uh, would be abhorrent to the majority of, of uh, uh, homosexual people, uh, even today, related to this. This is crossing a line that people would not uh, normally go through both heterosexually and homosexually but um, uh, but the problem is is that once you legitimize uh, homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle and all uh, in order for that to happen as Paul wrote to the the church at, uh, at Rome is that it requires the searing of a conscience in order to call homosexuality a something that is is right and okay to do I know that homosexual people uh, they they feel picked on because they look and they see uh, tremendous heterosexual immorality going on in the world all around us and and yet the church and Christians seem to be making this tremendous stand against them and there's some fairness to that uh, that criticism and uh, and and we ought to denounce a heterosexual sin just as completely but biblically there is a difference between uh, even heterosexual homosexual uh, heterosexual immorality and homosexual immorality because Paul writing to the Romans declared that the uh, homosexual sin is different in that it's unnatural so you have heterosexual sexual immorality and in, in at least, so to speak, it is a natural kind of sin. The two bodies kind of go together as God's intention. Never, never for sexual immorality, but for sexual expression. The problem with homosexuality is that once 
I take and convince myself that this lifestyle is okay, I must not only sin against God's word and, and what his word says, which his word condemns it, is, but I must now sin against nature. So I must sin against the obvious intent of the human body. And Paul declares that it requires a searing of the human conscience in order to do that. In other words, you have silenced the person that settles into that lifestyle has at least for the time that they're in the lifestyle they have silenced uh, the voice of God related to their lives but they have also silenced the voice of nature the obvious uh, way that nature speaks in terms of how the human bodies are are to interact and so you have statistically you, you want to look at things in in terms of uh, homosexual expression uh, certainly of homosexual male the estimate is the average homosexual male will have somewhere between 100 and 500 partners that's the average in the course of their lifestyle so it isn't it isn't a a lifestyle or a sin that um, nurtures uh, any kind of self-restraint and again, it just confirms God's word. You cross through a threshold, and then now it's just kind of unbridled lust. And the reason that this situation is so dangerous, and you have some homosexuals, they'll look at things and say, but I've been you know, faithful to my partner, so to speak, for 30 years. It's just been the two of us and, and this, uh, this, this kind of thing. And so they want to make that the example of, of, uh, of legitimizing the particular, particular lifestyle. But the problem is, is that because it is a sin against God's word and it is a sin against nature, now they have no moral authority to speak against other homosexuals and their license because now anyone can do whatever it is that they want to do. And so it sets the stage now for everything to ravel out of control for everyone and end up with a city uh, like this. And I would never want to be in any city anywhere in the world where you have homosexuality as a sexual expression is the dominant expression of that city because I think it can unravel and move way too quickly toward this and I think that a lot of people who would be honest about the homosexual lifestyle and have lived it would would confirm very much uh, the same uh, same kind of, of thing so they come uh, here and uh, they want to, to take these two men and we see now the reason why there was a, a cry of prayer being lifted up to God over the wickedness of, of uh, Sodom and all. And I just want to look at a couple of other verses in, in the Bible since this homosexuality thing is, is uh, such a big, you know, hot button kind of thing uh, today and, and, you know, we probably won't mess with it much until we hit Romans again in 75 years. So uh, we just talk a little bit about it uh, today so we can understand a little bit biblically uh, about it as Christians. It's condemned as sin by God everywhere in His Word. And I, I just would like to remind everybody, I don't care what our tendency is towards sin in any of our lives, is that God loves us like nobody else loves us. And He does not cease to be loving simply because He calls some action or temptation in my life to be wrong. That is a very childish way to process any other person and their actions or their words, much less to process God's actions and, and the stands that He takes, that, that somebody is unloving or doesn't care about me because they've made a stand against something that I'm doing. I mean, every parent knows that that's our continual portion in the raising of, of our children and even as much as we love our children. So it's condemned, and it's, it's condemned here as a sin. Now very often in, in homosexual churches, metropolitan church uh, and all, and these kinds of things, they'll declare that based upon a cross-reference to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, where this, it reads this, Thus, this, uh, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride fullness of food and abundance of idleness neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor 
and the needy. So they will look and say, listen, the sin of Sodom was not homosexuality, but they were judged for their pride, for their fullness of food, their idleness, and failing to help the poor or failing to be uh, hospitable. But God isn't judging uh, these men in the city of Sodom right here because they didn't invite these angels to... uh, you know, tea and toast or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a lot more serious than, uh, than you know, what a person, they, they want to make that out to be. God is not declaring there through Ezekiel that he approved of Sodom's uh, homosexuality. But what he's condemning is, is that they use their prosperity. And it was apparently a very, very prosperous part uh, of the world. And they used that prosperity that they were experiencing, and they used it instead of for helping people and pointing people to God and, and living uh, for God and living for other people, they used that prosperity for the expression of sin and selfishness. And, uh, and, and that kind of a thing. It's interesting to note that when you look around the whole world today and you see where the clamor is being made to legitimize the sin of homosexuality, it is happening where? The most prosperous parts of the world. It's as old as, as Sodom and Gomorrah because we have food in our supermarkets, we have food in our... our uh, 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 shelves at home and all of these kinds of things and so it frees us up for time to think about other things and you've got much of the rest of the world that is so busy trying to earn a living and put food on the table they don't have the time to try and uh, reconstruct the uh, you know the social and moral fabric of their nation to be sensitive toward an accommodating of of homosexuality so it, it comes forth in the West uh, because of the prosperity, it's an age-old uh, kind of, of, of problem. Additionally, uh, homosexual literature that tries to legitimize homosexuality as a lifestyle or a sin that God is accepting of, they almost always fail to quote the verse following Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, and that is verse 50, where God then goes on and says, And they were haughty and committed abominations before me, therefore I took them away as I saw fit. And there God clearly is addressing the homosexuality in Sodom. It is so dishonest, it is so dishonest to cut in and one verse and delete the next in order to try and legitimize, legitimize something, to cut and paste the Word of God to do that. And it's to fight against love is to fight against the love of God uh, for us and what he knows is, is best uh, for us. Another verse that speaks of this is Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, where God said, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is abomination. Very simple, very clear. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Very, very clear. Our God sees homosexuality, and they shall surely be put to death, and their blood shall be upon them. And so... A lot of times, and you know, when I, if I'm watching TV or something, and somebody's getting up and they're trying to blast Christianity and the Judeo-Christian ethic or the Bible or this kind of thing, and uh, about the stand against homosexuality, and they'll say something like, "Well, do you want us to go back under, you know, the the Bible where they stoned homosexuals in 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 the uh, in in the Old Testament and and that kind of thing?" It was capital punishment in the Old Testament. So was adultery in the Old Testament. It was a theocracy with the children of Israel uh, to commit uh, homosexual sin or to commit uh, uh, adultery. And clearly the Lord did not and does not want that sin to get a foothold among his people because he knows it leads to Sodom. He knows that it leads to lack of restraint and then it leads uh, to a judgment that he has uh, to pour out. Well, what did a person do if they were born a Jewish person and, and they're born into that nation and into that theocracy and they had homosexual tendencies? Now, I, I personally am, am one of those Christians that do not believe that homosexual tendencies, all of them are the byproduct of environment. 
And, and to save my life, I don't understand Christians who do. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I don't. Where they take and will say every single person with a homosexual tendency or something that they come from a background of abuse I know that that can be largely true or they've been exposed to this kind of a thing or that kind of a thing or they've nurtured at a time in which their sexuality is being developed and and it caused them to turn and that that kind of thing all of that is absolutely true but there are people that without a doubt I'm convinced they're born into this world and their attraction sexually from the first time that stirs within them is to a member of the same sex and uh, that's just the way that it is with 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 them and nothing's been nurtured they haven't been abused they haven't had terrible parents uh, none of these these kind of things have occurred and, and that happens. Why? Because we're descendants of Adam and Eve. We're all fallen. And I think the homosexual person, you know, we have to be careful in all of this, where they look and say, you know, I must be the worst person in the whole world because I have a, a strong draw to what God's Word condemns. Join the crowd. Join the crowd. Uh, every single person, every child of God, has a a drawing by virtue of who and what we are from Adam and Eve. Nothing to do with environment necessarily. There are people that are born pyromaniacs. There are people who are born just naturally more violent than other people. It wasn't nurtured. It's the way that they were born on uh, in, into the world, and and so they come in and. And they have to, to, we all deal with that, that kind of a tendency in, in our lives from, from Adam and Eve. But if we're going to argue from the basis of the fact that this must be a legitimate thing that everyone else must accept and society must accept by virtue of the fact that I was born this way, then you must empty all of the prisons of the world. Because they are filled with people who are in prison because they acted upon sinful tendencies that they were born with. So you're going to have anarchy. You start to run it like that. So God comes in and he knows what's right and wrong and good and bad for us and all. And he comes in and says, this is sin against me. This is no good for you. And he condemns it. So what does a person do if he's born with, with homosexual tendencies in that old theocracy? Does it mean he gets stoned? Not at all. It just means that he does not live out the temptation. He says no to the temptation in order and, and then does not actively practice homosexuality. No need for anyone with a homosexual tendency to be stoned under the old covenant. Not at all. See, now one of the problems, and again, it's the whole love issue as it relates to the Lord. I'm killing you, aren't I, on this, but I've got to say it. But one of the things re- related to all of this is that as harsh and as stern as that Old Testament theocracy uh, appeared to be, um, again, it was very, very loving. One of the things that really breaks my heart today is the readily, red, how readily accessible uh, sexual material is today. I mean, when I was a boy, for you to look at something dirty, I mean, you had to go, to, you had to do some work to do it and uh, make some effort and, I mean, travel some distance and do a lot of different things like that. And today, I mean, with a snap of a finger, you know, uh, they estimate, I would listen to one man, he was doing a teaching on uh, online pornography and he stated, Related to that, uh, that there are enough homo, there are enough uh, pornographic uh, images on the internet that a human being alive today could never exhaust uh, all of them in seeing them even one time if they spent the entirety of their life day and night. That's that's the that's the darkness that's out there. That's a click away for most of the western world on things so what happens we've got young people and kids that are addicted to this stuff way before i mean nobody way before kids could grow a mustache back when i was a kid i mean they're getting hit with this way way early way way before they have the emotional and 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 mental ability to process this kind of stuff and say no to it and 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 all and to know what they're doing to their lives by accessing it 
So we have created in the name of freedom in the West an environment that does not protect uh, youth and it doesn't protect its citizens in the most important area and that is morally and spiritually on things. And that's why as I mentioned uh, some time ago the article that uh, my oldest daughter gave me about the movement of, of some youth in Europe into the monasteries and, and becoming nuns because not necessarily because they agree with the theology of the thing they're looking for some place some safe place to escape what is inescapable and what God was doing under this theocracy is that he was taking that sin and he was so minimizing it there by virtue of the harshness of, of the judgment that it was uh, you could be someone with a homosexual tendency in that theocracy and everything that was being fed into your life was encouraging you toward holiness with God. You had almost no ability to express this other side. And, uh, and for those, those of you who have come out of that background or you know people who are trying to come out and how often just like someone that's dealing with drugs and all the great challenge that they face is to go someplace that will give them separation from being able to access that sin so they can start to establish a, a holy and a victorious uh, life. God is very, very wise. In, in what he's uh, doing here. Now sometimes they talk about, uh, they say, well, you know, adultery, people will talk in general about adultery in the Old Testament being uh, a capital crime. And look at how many Americans you would have to kill related to that. That's silly to impose it here at this point in the progression. It would ne adultery would never be as widespread as it is today if that was in place. <laughs> All you got to do is just see one or two people stoned to death related to that, and it gives you a tremendous motivation to stay faithful in your marriage and all. So I say kiddingly, but I mean really on the thing. Again, there would just be tremendous pressure of the society toward what is right. And of course, that's gone. So there wouldn't have been, under that old covenant, widespread stonings. It would have been very, very occasional. And it would have kept then the larger whole uh, safe. And then in uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27, Paul said, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was uh, due. In First uh, Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, and there it is, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And then finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Now this is not talking about temptation toward the these things, either for heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. It is that I have launched into a practicing lifestyle of, of this, this kind of, of, of sin. And nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And the beautiful thing about that little passage is, is it doesn't stop right there. Because Paul goes on to write, and he says, Of such were some of you. Sometimes we think we live in the most ungodly and most immoral period in human history. It is very immoral, but it may not be the most immoral. It certainly is in terms of our access to immorality and that kind of thing. But the Roman culture was a very immoral culture, and Corinth was the center of heterosexual and homosexual sin and drunkenness. And a church got established there. 
And God called people to walk with him out of all of these backgrounds of the things that I just read there. Paul said, and such were some of you. God is able to introduce that word were into our lives. Related to any sin. And sometimes you look, and especially with sexual sin, because the sex drive is so strong. And we look and say, there could be no, I would be just tortured, you know, and, 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 and all. There's no way that I could walk away from that and, and all. It's to underestimate the power of God. To give us the will to do and the power to do of His good pleasure. It doesn't mean there won't even be a struggle there related to that. It can be a struggle. Just like for the single uh, heterosexual who has to say no to those urges too because they're not married in all. But that's what God can do. He comes into our lives and what we were, we are no longer. But, he said, you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God changed wicked people in Corinth. And he doesn't even break a sweat to do it. He doesn't have to take vitamins or supplements or anything. He's got a big, strong right arm. And he knows what we're in the middle of and he knows how to deliver us out of it. And, and everything we need Him to be, to walk with Him. Uh, he, he's willing to be that in, in our lives. But the step that has to be taken, of course, is to give my life to Him. Now, back to the passage here. Oh, out of time. Just kidding. So bring them out that we may know them carnally. Verse 6. And so Lot went out to them through the doorway, and, and so uh, he, he steps out onto his front porch, so to speak. He shuts the door uh, behind him, and he says to them, begins to try to reason with them, and he says, Please, my brethren, oh my, how far has he fallen in Sodom? You can hear Abraham saying, he's come out from under the godly influence of Abraham in his decision making. My brethren, do not do so wickedly and so he condemns them for their wickedness on two fronts number one their desire to commit uh, homosexual rape of these these two men that have come into his house angels and the second thing is to violate the middle eastern um, laws of hospitality once you invited someone under that culture and even today into your house you were to be safe in that person's house and the person's house that you were in was to use all of their resources to protect you do you know that if you as a christian and an american were taken into the home of a powerful man uh, uh, let's say a powerful muslim man in the the gaza strip and he extended hospitality to you in his house, he would extend. I mean, everybody in the whole place could be against you and what you stand for. But his obligation would be to extend every resource he has to protect you while you are under his roof. You are safe there in that. The law of hospitality among the Middle Easterners was and is very, very strong. And so this is what he's protesting uh, related to. And then uh, he goes off a cliff. I don't know how, what in the world you say to it. He said, see now I have two daughters who have not known a man. They're virgins. And he offers these two daughters of his. This is flesh and blood. doesn't matter if they weren't. But I mean, it, it, the strength of it and, and all. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason that they have come at, uh, under the shadow of... Uh, of of my uh, roof that's quite a dab I mean how far has this guy fallen since leaving Abraham there and I, I mean it, it, and, and how fashioned he has become by Sodom and he can't even see it no, no wonder why later in the passage they, they become sexually involved with their father after getting him drunk and all and they don't even blink related to it because they've been fashioned by, by Sodom here. And so here he is. He tries to negotiate with evil. We don't negotiate with evil as God's people. We stand against it. We expose it. We are salt and we are light. That's where we stand. And then we see where it goes. This is a very shameful record 
related to Lot. And then they said to him, stand back. They, they aren't going to take no for an answer. And they said, this one, speaking of Lot, he comes to stay here into our, you know, city of Sodom. And he keeps acting uh, as a judge. So apparently he's been trying to, you know, refashion Sodom a little bit on some level and, uh, and tries to reach Sodom be- by becoming like Sodom, you know, kind of a Sodom light approach uh, to trying to reach Sodom as a Christian and, and all. And then when it really comes push to shove where he's going to make a stand against them, they reject it outright. He keeps acting as a judge and now we'll deal worse with you than with them. And so they pressed hard against them man lot they're going to take him now and sexually abuse him and they came near to break down the door but the men inside the two angels they reached out their hands and they pulled Sodom or they pulled lot into the house with them and they shut the door and they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great so that they became weary trying to find the door Only a miracle of God stopped what these men intended to do with those two men. And it's interesting as you look at how far gone these men are in Sodom when they are smitten with blindness to a man. I mean, wouldn't that put fear in you? Whoa, who are these guys inside of here that are able to do this kind of thing? Instead of repenting and backing off, I mean, there's grace in the passage God's trying to get through to him still and and but instead of doing the obvious thing to do with this uh, you know early judgment that he meets out upon them they continue to try and find the door handle and commit their act even in blindness it's really terrible 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 uh, scene here and then the men said to Lot have you anyone else here son-in-law your sons your daughters and whoever you have in this place take them out of this place get them uh, out of of here for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it and he calls on Lot and calls on him to get your family out of here this thing is headed for destruction Run from what is headed for God's destruction. That's a good word for us tonight too. The Bible tells, tells us that we are to separate ourselves from what is evil and what we know that God has promised that He must judge. And maybe there'd be one or two of us in the room tonight. You've camped into Sodom and it's fashioning you and you can't believe what you're doing and what you're saying and you see yourself represented here in Lot and in some kind of a measure and all and God just rises up out of the Scripture and warns you, run from what you're in the middle of. Judgment is going to come upon it. Not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Separate yourself from, from the sin. It's the only safe place in the world and and so they take and and uh, give them uh, this warning and the reason for the warning the destruction is is going to come and Lot obeys verse 14 he went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters so he's got plural daughters here that are married so you got Lot you got his wife right two you got two virgin daughters unmarried that he tries to offer to the crowd And now you have at least multiple daughters and their husbands. So let's say a minimum of two married daughters plus their husbands. So the two married daughters and and all and their husbands. And and pretty soon even, uh, you know, uh, you've got a minimum of eight. And that's why Lot or Abraham, when he is negotiating here with with God related uh, to uh, getting, uh, you know, mercy upon the city, if there's even... Even 10 he just had to figure there's got to be 10 right within Lot's family but he underestimated the power of Lot, uh, of Sodom to uh, fashion the uh, the family of Lot in Sodom you know the picture as we get to the end of the chapter and we will get there 
Um, it'll be one in the morning, but we'll get. I'm just kidding. That's so cruel to do to to you on things. We'll be very timely on it. But you look at you look at Abraham, and he's he's just out in the wilderness, and he's going to see the smoke coming up from Sodom and and all, and and he is so ignorant of the wickedness of Sodom, and his life is peaceful because of it. You know, if I, and if I ever want to be, have a choice in a thing, you know, here he is. He underestimates the wickedness of Sodom. He underestimates the wickedness that has become entrenched in the family there of Lot and all because he's naive about it. And there's a sense in which we can't be completely naive about the wickedness that's going on in the world. But we don't have to know it intimately to stand against it. And he's at peace where he, he is on, on things and, uh, uh, and, and in, a, in a sanctified, holy, beautiful way, uh, ignorant of the depth of sin in Sodom. And so Lot went out. He spoke to his sons-in-laws who had married his daughters. And he said, get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. So he's warning them as the angels told him. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They didn't take his words seriously. Obviously, they did not have a respect for his relationship with God or his ability to hear God clearly. Because Lot is invested in Sodom. Sodom has made him powerful and it has made him wealthy. And it is very hard to rise up and make a stand against what you are heavily invested in and be taken seriously by anyone. It takes holiness to be taken seriously when we make a stand against the sin of the culture. And so they just laugh at him, even within his own family. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise and uh, take your wife and your two daughters who were here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, unbelievable, what don't you know about, I mean, what is hard to understand about run for your life? While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out of the city and set him on the outside. They literally have to drag him out of the city. Incredible. And so it came to pass when they had uh, brought them outside that Lot said, and uh, that, uh, that he said to Lot, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. And it's important to notice that phrase because his wife is going to look behind. She'd been warned. Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed, lest you be caught up in the judgment that God is going to righteously pour out on the city. And then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords. Is God patient or what? He's going to argue with God here over this. He, 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 he wants to separate from the wickedness that God is going to judge. But he only wants to separate just on the other side of the line doesn't want to go too far out into the mountains. So he's going to negotiate how far he has to walk and everything to get there. And he said, Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. And see now, this city is near enough for me to flee to. And it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And the angel said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also. Buddy, you have no idea how you're taxing us right here at the moment. So I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that, you, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. So he hurries and escapes to the city of Zoar, which was apparently set aside uh, for judgment also, but Lot's presence there uh, causes that not to happen. Hurry, escape there, verse 22, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called uh, Zoar. 
And the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar, and uh, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire, just fire come down uh, from the heavens on Sodom and Gomorrah uh, from the Lord. And so uh, God brings an end in his judgment to that sinful uh, condition of the city. Not only brings a, a, a judgment upon the, in the personal responsibility of the people there in their sin, but he rids their influence for that to then spread uh, among uh, the human uh, population and, and conditions. So it's a complete destruction. He overthrew those cities, all of the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Now people look today, you go to Israel, and people say, where's Sodom and Gomorrah out here? When you go out by the Dead Sea, and uh, so they say, because nobody can definitively say exactly where that it is, except it was located in that southern area where uh, the southern section of the Dead Sea. And it's believed that those cities probably existed where the Dead Sea on the southern end has covered them in terms of, of its, uh, its size uh, today. But his wife, Lot's wife, she looked back behind him. So she looks back uh, to Sodom. She had been warned there in verse 17 not to do that. And the idea is that she looks back longingly. And uh, as a result, she became a pillar of salt. And so the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, it overtook her. And, uh, and she is an amazing study all on her own. We don't have time to go into it tonight. But um, Jesus, remember, he said, uh, it, speaking of the end of this world, he said, remember Lot's wife. That's what he spoke to us. That there is a judgment coming upon the whole world that is as complete as the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And he reminds us as Christians. The thing with, with Lot's wife, here's the deal with her, is that uh, her heart was still in Sodom. You think about her, you think about her mind, you think about what she knew. She knew about the existence of God. She knew that God was real. She knew the supernatural. She had entertained angels. Uh, she knew in her mind that judgment was going to come upon the city. I mean, you take in terms of two sets of scales, and you take all of the things that she knows to be true about God and true about the coming judgment and all those things, and you put it on this side of the scale. And I mean, it weighs a lot. So her mind knows all of these things, but her heart is in Sodom. And it is a goofy thing about how, given enough time, the heart will always win out in that situation. It will work its way through all of those intellectual things and all and work away in order to express itself. And that's what she does. And she disregards this incredible amount of head knowledge related to God. And she does not operate on the basis of that knowledge. She operates on the basis of her heart. And the danger and the warning is, is the danger in the child of God is when the heart and the mind are not unified together in, in the worship and obedience to the Lord. If you sit here tonight and you know the Bible inside and out, upside down, backwards, you've had miracles that God has done in your life, you have an incredible history with God, but your heart is divided and your heart is captured by the world and some wickedness of Sodom, I guarantee you the world will win. Sodom will win. The heart has a way of ending up with its way. And that's why the Bible says that we are to be careful related to our hearts because, because, because the issues of life pour out of that. So tonight a good warning for us. If my heart, my mind is, I know God is real, I know salvation, I believe in Jesus, I believe in miracles, I believe in the judgment that's going to come upon the earth, I believe every bit of this Bible, all 1,500 pages or whatever it is in your Bible and all of that, but if that heart is turn someplace else it will undo everything you know that's why they both love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your mind with all of your soul and with all of your strength and she ends up destroyed as a result of it and Abraham went early 
in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So he comes out of his tent early in the morning and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the plain, uh, land of the plain, and he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. This great friend of God, great intercessor and lover of, of the people and righteous and in, in Sodom, he realizes as the judgment is poured out, there weren't even ten there. There weren't even ten there. I thought we were safe at ten. It, but again, the beautiful side is he underestimated it. I, the, pure, the pure in heart that way. I love Abraham and all of this. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Why did God deliver Lot out of that destruction? Because he deserved it? No, because God is gracious. But he delivered him, we're told here, because he remembered Abraham. And he knew the heart of Abraham toward Lot and toward his family. Do you have family members? Do you have friends that are caught up in a homosexual lifestyle or heterosexual uh, you know, immorality, lifestyle, or sin, or something, you look and say, they're never going to get out of Sodom. They'll never get out of the pull of it. They'll never, no way, this, it's just hopeless and all. It isn't hopeless. Because God is at work, and you are involved in their lives through intercession. Verse 29 is a tremendous encouragement to the intercession of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and grandparents and friends to those that are caught up in what God has promised to judge. You keep praying. God hears your prayers, and they do make a difference in, in the situation so God remembered Lot and sent him out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities which Lot had dwelt. And then Lot went up out of Zoar. So he said, I can't make it to the mountains. Let me stop in Zoar. But he leaves Zoar. And he went all the way to the mountains ultimately. And his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid for some reason to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave in the mountains. Remember when he left Abraham? Why did he leave Abraham? Because they were both so prosperous with herds and servants and flocks and family that was so big that the land couldn't sustain them both. Now he's reduced to living in a cave. He's lost it all here. So he, he dwells in this cave and the firstborn said to the younger, kind of a whispering thing going on here, Our father is old and there's no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of the earth. We're never going to get married, you know. And so come, let make, let's make our father drink wine. We'll get him drunk and then we'll lie with him uh, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And so they took and they made their father drink wine that night. And uh, again, the relationship scripturally. Anywhere you see someone getting drunk in the Bible, it's not a good thing happening. Why? Inevitably, it leads to sexual immorality. And, and so here, here is this, uh, or, or some kind of disgrace in that way. And so they, get, they take and, and he gets drunk, and, and it isn't like he's some kind of an innocent victim. What in the world is Lot doing getting drunk here? The passage, that's how far he has, he has sunk here. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in, lay with her father, and he was so drunk he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. And it happened then the next uh, day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, that you may go in and lie with him, and that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose, lay with him, and he did not know uh, when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. It's unspeakable. And the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab and he is the father of the Moabites to this day and we're going to read a lot about the Moabites through the rest of the Bible this is the origin of, of the Moabite people and then the younger she also bore a son and was uh, called his name uh, Ben uh, Amy and he is the father of the people of Ammon to this day so uh, this is where the Ammonites came from from this relationship with, with their father the Moabites 
Moabites will ultimately, both the Ammonites and the Moabites will be a terrible influence upon the children of Israel. Uh, the Moabites will lead the children of Israel ultimately into gross immorality or, or gross idolatry against the Lord. The Ammonites will lead Israel uh, one day not only into idolatry but into the worship of Molech which involved the sacrificing of their children uh, unto Molech. Nothing good comes out of this decision by Lot uh, so much earlier to separate himself there from uh, Abraham, which was something that needed to happen, but the decision-making that he made there in choosing uh, the easy way, the prosperous way uh, to move towards Sodom because that looked like a place to make a lot of money and become powerful. And, and so for the sake of power and money and all of this, and, and you know, we rationalize all this stuff. It'll be good. I'll be able to get things for the kids and, and my wife and all that I wouldn't be able to and we'll be able to stand in the midst of that wickedness and, and everything so he puts material prosperity first and uh, above what's best spiritually for his family and he ends up losing everything as a result of it he loses his wife he loses his children he loses his wealth he loses his reputation and he's living in a cave and again as Peter wrote concerning him as a righteous man Maybe Lot could, on some level, <clears throat> live in Sodom and not be uh, unduly influenced uh, by it. But certainly he wasn't affected by its wickedness. But clearly his wife and his children were not able to. Sodom destroyed their lives. And again, I'll say, as we said before, because it's important for us as men to hear it. Men. There are things that are much more important in life than titles and power and material wealth. And I, and I know that that's to fight against the culture on all of, of that. There are things that are much more important than money or material things. A good marriage and a wife that is protected by her husband. Godly children are more valuable than that a godly family children that are innocent related to evil Jesus said seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you there's no need to compromise with the world or engage in wickedness and all in order to keep food on the table and 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 to do what's what's right God's going to take care of us in our lives but the key for us is to make pleasing Him, obeying Him, the single most important thing. And then God's going to take care of our material needs. And then all of these other things get added to it. And God will be faithful to do that. So we can't, you know, uh, completely control the existence of, of wickedness in, in this world. But we can determine to keep ourselves separated from it. And what the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah all those thousands of years ago, it's just a picture of, of a judgment that's going to come upon the world one day here. And it's important that we don't become attached to the world and allow it to steal our heart from God. Let me close with this verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. <clears throat> For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And so Lot rises up off of the pages of, of Scripture, and, and Peter tells us that he was vexed with the wickedness of Sodom. But I think that Lot's life teaches us that we need, as men especially, to, to be more than vexed related to wickedness. We need to be vexed and then separate ourselves and separate our families from that wickedness. Let's stand together and we'll pray.
Father, this is just so heavy, the whole chapter. But it's in your word, and it's more than in your word. I mean, it's all around us. Uh, every single day, Lord, the same kind of things. There's nothing new under the sun, and we see it and we recognize it. And, and it's, there's a, even this, you know, you just look at it and I don't want to talk about it and, and, and all, and, but it all needs to be said, Lord. And it's a good warning. And we thank you that you've included this chapter in your word. And we pray for our own lives, Lord, and we pray for the men and women that stand around us here tonight. And we know that so many, Lord, are just at a tremendous expense to themselves and how they could prosper and get ahead in life and all of these things that, Lord, they have turned away from those things and lost out in the eyes of the world in order to obey you and to discover the true riches of, of life. And then, Lord, for those that might stand among us tonight where the mind is completely in agreement with you and your word but the heart has been stolen away we pray Lord that you would just touch their hearts tonight and that you would not allow them to go to sleep this evening until they have made both the mind and the heart to be in line with you and settling the issue of your lordship Lord in their lives, in our lives. And we look to you for these things, Lord. We honor you in this way tonight. And we do so and pray so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.